Well, good morning. Thank you for inviting me to be here with you this morning. So as we uh, seek to meet God this morning, I just want to read a little bit of scripture and just a little thought and a prayer to start us into the service. We meet this morning to praise our Creator God. We meet this morning thankful for our Saviour Christ. We meet this morning to seek the Holy Spirit. We meet this morning expectant and waiting to hear. The start of John's Gospel. In the beginning the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. As we come this morning to meet with God, let each one of us bring our joys or our despairs our thanks or our laments. But let us seek to hear from our living God and let us stand in the light knowing that Christ is the eternal word through whom God created everything. Let us pray. May none of God's wonderful works keep silence, night or morning. Bright stars, high mountains, the depths of the seas, sources of rushing rivers. May all these break into song as we sing to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May all the angels in the heavens reply, Amen, Amen, Amen. Power, praise, honour, eternal glory to God, the only giver of grace. Amen, Amen, Amen. Let us now join together in prayers of praise and thanksgiving and prayers of confession. And as I come to the end of each section of the prayer, I'll say the words, living Lord. And if you could join with me at that point and say, hear our prayer. Living Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray. Lord of all, we praise you for our universe with its infinite fascination for our world with all its wonder, for our countryside with all its beauty, for life itself in all its incredible variety. Loving Lord, hear our prayer. There is so much that gives us pleasure, that offers us fulfillment, that captures our imagination, that challenges and inspires, that gives us cause to look forward with anticipation that speaks to us of your great love. Loving Lord, hear our prayer. Forgive us for so often abusing all you have given, for spoiling our world, for failing to appreciate it as we should, for losing our childlike sense of wonder and inquiry, for treating it as ours by right, rather than entrusted as your gift for being blind to your loving hand moving behind it all. Loving Lord, hear our prayer. Open our eyes to the countless blessings and inexhaustible riches you have so freely given 
and help us to show our appreciation by being faithful stewards of your creation. Loving Lord, hear our prayer. In the name of Christ, amen. The reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armour so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armour, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armour of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Amen. Well, I wonder if you, like me, have heard a lot from the government about David Cameron's big society. But are you, like me, wondering if it will actually amount to much? Will we here, as citizens of the UK, be able to pull together and help make this happen? Well, today I want us to think of something else. Instead of David Cameron's big society, perhaps we should be considering how the church can pull together to be part of God's big society here in Glasgow. Actually, no, I, I, want to, I want you to think on a much, much larger scale than just Glasgow. Let's think outside of the West End. Let's, let's not even think of Scotland or, or the UK. And I'm not even talking this morning about God's big society here on Earth. I'm talking much bigger than this. A really massive scale. Today, I want you to consider not just the natural obstacles here on Earth that stop us from building God's kingdom, I want you to think with me about the supernatural obstacles. If you've got a Bible handy this morning, it would be really good if you had a finger in it at Ephesians 6, um, and that way we can maybe look at an occasional bit of the passage together. But before we look at this passage, I just want you to step back with me from the passage and consider and understand why it was written and to whom it was written. It was believed that this letter was written by Paul around AD 60 while he was imprisoned in Rome. And some of the early manuscripts of this letter don't actually mention that the letter was for the church in Ephesus. So this letter might actually have been written as one to be shared with a lot of the churches on the way to Ephesus. 
This letter would have traveled quite some distance from Rome to Ephesus. Now, I'm a little bit funny. I like to know where places are. So if it helps you and you know where Rome is and then you can go across to Athens, then you would find Ephesus by just heading. You would head uh, across to Asia, heading east, across the sea, dodging all the little islands. And, And when you hit mainland Turkey, that is where Ephesus is. So it would have traveled quite a long way. And the the letter of Paul's was quite different from many of his other letters. It wasn't written to a church to correct a false teaching. But this one's a wonderful letter of encouragement to the church. However, it ends with this stark warning for people of God to stand firm against the powers of darkness. So look at this passage with me again. That first few verses, I'm just going to read again. And they give us the foundation of why we need to put on the armor of God. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly place. You see, Paul's calling us here to stand firm against the devil's schemes or tricks, the strategies of the devil. And Paul clearly warns us of the supernatural when he tells us that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Or as the Good News translation puts it very simply, we're not fighting against human beings. Instead, we're facing rulers and authorities from the unseen world, mightier cosmic powers of the dark world and the evil spirits and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. I wonder if you, like me, can be a bit sceptical of the supernatural or of the existence of demons in this world. You see, we here live in the UK in such a scientifically advanced and ordered world where there's a real need to explain everything away with reason or with science. And yet those of us that are Christians believe in God. But we cannot present scientific evidence for our God. That's why we are believers. We believe. We believe in something that's unseen. Sometimes when I've been at work in the Air Force, I've found myself discussing my faith with uh, an atheist friend. And I find that whatever I say or try to explain to them about my own experiences of God, it just doesn't seem to be enough. I remember standing at one o'clock in the morning after a long conversation at a function, and my friend just saying to me, you know, if I just had some physical proof, I would believe in God. And that's when I get frustrated. I just want them to take a step of faith and trust in God. And I believe that's a bit of a problem here in the UK. As we try to reach out with the good news of Christ's death on the cross for us, that we can claim salvation through that act. People just dismiss God because they don't believe in something they can't see. They are skeptical of the supernatural. But my friends, you and I have taken a step of faith. We're believers in Christ. 
We believe in a supernatural power. We believe in the power God holds. So I want to challenge you this morning. Do you accept that the devil holds powers? Are you skeptical of evil power existing? Would you acknowledge that demons still exist and possess people now in the 21st century? Or do you take a viewpoint that because you can't see the devil and his powers, they don't exist as a threat? Let me just read a verse from 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 8, Peter writes, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Brothers and sisters, be under no illusion. The devil has no need to focus his energy on those who have not accepted Christ. The devil will attack the people who are standing for Christ. We are his enemy. The devil's not happy that you are here today in church to worship God. The devil wants to attack and place doubt in our minds when we choose to live out our calling, when we choose to share our faith with others, and when we put our energies into the good works for the Lord. The devil wants to see churches falter. He wants division in the church. He wants disagreements between Christians. The devil ultimately wants to bring down the church of God. And he'll try and do that one step at a time. He'll try and attack us individually. And that's why I want to talk this morning about standing together, standing strong together, so that we can grow and be the church that God wants us to be. So let's consider this armour that we're called to put on. I want you to imagine each piece of the armour as I talk about it, its significance and how it It protects us individually and collectively as a body from the powers of darkness. The first one Paul mentions is the belt of truth. In ancient times, a belt was fixed around clothing because the clothing was really loose. And the belt would keep the clothing in place. It would literally stop you tripping up on your cloak. So Paul tells us to start first by putting on our belt of truth to stop us being tripped up by Satan's lies. Next, he tells us to put on the body armour of God's righteousness, or in some translations, the breastplate of righteousness. And this draws directly from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 59, which described Yahweh's breastplate. Our heart is the seat of our emotions and our self-worth. So imagine yourself putting on that breastplate Not just the physical one that I've worn in the Middle East to protect my vital organs. But the breastplate of righteousness. Protecting our heart from attack by the devil. Keeping us secure in the face of criticism. You couldn't see in the picture that I was wearing my flying boots. But the next thing that Paul talks about is putting on our shoes of readiness to announce the good news of peace. In ancient times, soldiers in battle needed to hold their ground. They needed a good grip to hold that ground. And in ancient times, they'd take their shoes or whatever they were putting on their feet, they'd get the soles, and from in the inside, they would tap nails through so that the points of the nails would be sticking out. And that way, when they were in the front line, 
and they were under attack. They wouldn't slide or slither on the ground. They would stand firm with these nails, giving them a grip. I'm sure, like me, you've got many different types of footwear at home. I've talked about flying boots. I've got boots for walking in the hills, which I'm hoping to do now. I've moved to Scotland again. Shoes for running, shoes for golfing. I've got welly boots for gardening, but I don't like gardening, so I leave that to my husband. I could go on and on, but why not us think about donning our shoes, ready to go and proclaim the good news? Satan wants us to think that we're useless at sharing our faith, that the task is just too big, that the mission is not worth our time. This is because he's actually scared that we're out to win hearts and souls for the kingdom of God. So let's put on our footwear, helping us stand firm, able to proclaim the good news. The next thing is the shield of faith. I didn't carry a shield in the aircraft, but in ancient times, shields were large, wooden, leather, door-shaped shields. They could all be locked together side by side to form a wall and also locked above to form a roof overhead the soldiers to protect them collectively. In ancient times, sizzling and sendry arrows were often used because they would flare up and burn a dry wooden shield, causing the bearer to drop it in a panic. So what they would do was take the leather on the shields and soak it with water before battle commenced. That way, the water in the level, in the leather would put out those fiery arrows. So, my friends, let us hold up our shields soaked in faith in Christ, standing side by side with each other so that the devil's steady reign of arrows, of temptation, fear, bitterness, rage, anger, and division cannot break up the unity of the church. Let us watch as he fires his fiery arrows And they hit our shields soaked with our faith. They fizzle and quietly drop to the ground without harming us. Next, it uh, tells us, Paul tells us about the helmet of salvation. And we do, we wear helmets for all sorts of reasons. I mentioned to the children about motorbikes or when they were cycling and people in construction sites wear a helmet. And you saw that I wore a helmet in my aircraft And for quite a good reason, as one of my friends found out earlier this year, as he flew in with his crew to Libya before the conflict began, he flew into the the desert oil fields to pick up the oil workers and uh, bring them back to the UK before trouble really broke out. And as they approached one of the airfields, someone shot a a gun at the aircraft. A couple of bullets hit the wings and didn't do any damage, but one hit the cockpit of the aircraft, it went inside, it bounced off my friend's helmet. That helmet protected his life. So let us put on helmets, helmets of salvation to protect us from any doubt that we are saved, that we are Christ's. That helmet will protect our minds from doubting the salvation we have in Christ. And finally this morning, we're asked to take up one offensive weapon. All our armor before was defensive, but we're asked to pick up our sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The church is given one weapon so we can strike back in truth when we are personally tempted by evil. 
or attacked by false teaching and alien philosophies. When we are attacked by Satan, we can strike back at him by trusting in the truth of the word of God. So brothers and sisters, are we fully dressed this morning? Are we ready for battle against the powers of of the unseen? Have you put on each piece of armor with me and picked up your sword? It might seem really odd, all this imagery of battle, this sitting alongside our peaceful Messiah. However, I want to read to you a short excerpt from a book called A Theology of the Dark Side. It's written by Nigel Wright, the principal at Spurgeon's College in London. And in the, in the passage, he underlines how appropriate it is to use the military metaphor. Because we're in a spiritual battle, the language of military conflict is appropriate. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. The church of God is wrestling with the opposing forces of darkness. We are to put on the armor of God. The book of Revelation describes war in heaven. The battle is moving towards the final spiritual conflict in the last battle called Armageddon. Besides these New Testament references, the language of conflict comes easily to those who are acquainted with the many battles of the Old Testament and the picture of God as a warrior. The language of war helps us to describe our Christian experience. We fight against temptation, trials, difficulties, and against the evil that is within us and beyond us. Few Christians can escape the poignant sense of the need to win through and to overcome the obstacles that are placed in the way. From these facts, we conclude that warfare language has a useful and indeed necessary part to play. Battle imagery makes periodic comebacks in the church's vocabulary. We are the church militant. It's common to sing songs about being Christian soldiers, the army of the Lord, taking the land, possessing the fruit, wielding the sword. One Christian movement, the Salvation Army, has made the military metaphor its defining motif. We are ready to bind the enemy, to march for Jesus, to trample on the devil, to call the powers to bow down. The clenched fist, as well as the open upraised hand, has become the sign of the charismatic movement in the church. The raised voice, authoritative command, and the aggressive posture towards an invisible enemy is now part of our stock in trade. Before I close this morning, I want to focus on the last verse of today's reading. Verse 18 reads... Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. The challenge here is that once we are dressed for battle, there's one final step. Prayer. We must stay alert in prayer for ourselves and for other fellow believers. We must be persistent in our prayers and we must pray at all times. We must soak our day and our actions in prayer. And through that prayer, we build our relationship with God. How is your relationship with God? Is it yet to happen? Are you still seeking God? Is it new, fresh, and exciting? Is it stable and growing? 
Or has it become stagnant and in need of a jump start to get going again? A couple of months ago, I was sat with someone at my home church in Newbury, and I was praying for the unity of the church because our church was going through a particularly difficult time that gave people different opinions on things. We were praying for for, for the church to be open to God's plan, to, to really pray, to deepen its spirituality, to grow in its discipleship, and to stand strong against attacks. I had this strong image, a similar sanctuary um, with chairs that can be moved away. I had this image of my home church with all the chairs removed and the people of the church stood together strong. Everyone was looking out the way. They were standing strong as one body and, and that was what I was praying for, that unity. And I was praying for them to be drenched in the Holy Spirit. And I could just see this waterfall in my image coming down from the ceiling, just drenching the people of God in the Holy Spirit. That's the image I had of my home church. Others have images of their churches, and I wonder what image comes to mind for each of you as you take time, perhaps this week particularly, to pray for the spiritual health of this church, for its protection, for it to fulfill its vision, for it to be the church that God wants it to be. So look at that verse 18 one last time. This verse means a lot to me recently. I've left many friends behind. Both, both my husband and I have left the South. We've got a whole, f- a whole group of friends and family of Christ that are living 400 miles from here. And that verse 18 just reminds me how important it is for me to continue to pray for that church. It also reminds me of that promise that many of them have made to pray for us as we start a a new phase of life here in Scotland. My friends, never underestimate the power of prayer, the power of intercession for others. So as I close, let me reiterate one thing. Do not ignore the power of the devil or it will gain a foothold. Be alert Stand firm, together in unity, without division, and drenched in the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, we simply ask that we can don your armor to protect us. We seek to pray our way through our days and build our relationship with you deeper and deeper, so we become more resilient to attack. Lord, we ask that you protect this church here in Hillhead and stir these people to stand unified and strong together as they seek your will. Amen. And let's do just what verse 18 calls for as I lead us in our prayers of intercession this morning. Let us pray. Living God, you are the beginning and the end of all things. All things are made by you and for your love. You are the Alpha and Omega, creator of time and space, saviour beyond time and space, spirit within time and space. Father, may we live in awareness of your presence and your peace and rejoice in your abiding love and in your power. 
you are blessed, one God forever. Jesus, our teacher, we thank you for calling us to follow you and to share in your outreach to all peoples. We ask for your blessing on all who go out to preach the word, upon all pastors and shepherds of your flock. Give us all the wisdom to follow in your steps and to bring others to know you and love you. We pray for all who are involved in mission and in spreading the good news through teaching and example. In the silence, lift your own prayers for those involved in mission and outreach, both here and overseas. Father, we give thanks for all that you have given us. As we look elsewhere around the world, we remember before you all who are suffering through famine, war, or poverty. We pray for all who live in shanty towns or impoverished dwellings. We bring before you all who do not have proper medical care or education, and those who live in fear in war-torn areas of the world. In the silence, remember those who are living in fear and poverty. Lord, we pray that you guide our nation. Bless and guide Elizabeth, our Queen. Give wisdom to David Cameron and Alex Salmond and direct our elected governments in the way of justice and peace. Father, we bring before you our local community and we ask that our faith in you will make a difference in Glasgow. Lord, we ask that you bless the work of Christians here in Glasgow as they seek to make a difference. In the silence, bring before the Lord the various projects ongoing in Glasgow which strive to make a difference. Lord, we thank you for this church, for the love and fellowship. But Lord, we bring before you the needs of this church. And we pray specifically for Kerr's family, Betty, Fiona and Graham at this time. Also for Gwyneth White and her upcoming operation. We pray for Katrina as she's taking a break. And for all others of the fellowship who cannot be here this morning. In the silence, bring your prayers to the Lord for those that you know of. Merciful Father, accept these prayers in the name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. It would be really great together to stand strong and say the grace together. And I would like you to say it to each other this morning as we close. And just so there's no confusion, we're not singing Amen at the end, so we'll just speak it. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Lord, 